all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. I have a guest today, which is, a, is we haven't had a guest in a while, so I have a guest on with me today. I have Dr. Carl Mangum, who is also an Associate Professor at UMMC, but in the School of Nursing, and he is also a nurse practitioner. Um, he is a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. And Dr. Mangum is no stranger to the show. We've had him on lots in the past, and he has lots of different things uh, that he brings to the table for us to talk about today. We're going to talk about his uh, recent experience um, with uh, federal response to COVID, as well as talking about depression and anxiety. But we are open to taking uh, your calls today for general health and wellness questions as well. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email us, fit at org, Or you can hop on over to my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie, and interact with me there. Good morning, Carl. Good morning. How are you? I am good. I wish I was in the same room with you so I could give you a big old bear hug, but I can't. So I'm sending you a virtual a virtual hug. How's that sound? Uh, well, thank you very much. And uh, certainly the same back to you. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So I haven't gotten to, to see you or talk with you in a while, but I know you've been doing some very exciting things. Uh, you know, I mentioned a couple of your roles uh, one as a you know faculty in the School of Nursing, psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner, but you're also a disaster response specialist um, because you command one of the federal disaster medical teams, right? Did I get that, that right? That That's correct. It's a DMAT team or disaster medical assistance team. We work for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services under the um, auspices of the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response. And uh, most people have not heard much about the National Disaster Medical System, but it's been around 30 plus years, actually. Wow. And um, we respond to not only to uh, natural disasters, uh, our biggest claim to fame usually is hurricanes and tornadoes, uh, but we also do uh, large scale medical things like the uh, pandemic. Uh, we also do national security events. Um, like the presidential inauguration, uh, we do State of the Union, we do uh, the 4th of July celebration when they have them on the National Mall, which I don't believe they'll be having a big celebration this year. Probably but, not. But in years past, um, other things were the um, uh, park, uh, U.S. Park Police or the um, Secret Service or 
any of the large-scale federal police agencies uh, have a large-scale gathering and may want additional medical services available. Uh, we do those at their request uh, as a federal partner. And we partner with all the other large federal uh, federal agencies, you know, at their behalf, at their request. Um, and uh, they help us at our request when we need it uh, uh, also. Yeah. Uh, so, so we have a, a, a large variety of things. We're an all-hazard organization. Uh, so not only we do we do the uh, medical part, we do the uh, we train for the biological chemical response and for the medical response um, such as COVID. Um, and uh, we're there to to do uh, what we need to do when we need to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I know y'all are busy now, and you know, on top of the pandemic, we're entering hurricane season, which it's looking like it's going to be a pretty active one if uh, if if the models hold true. So I know that that's something on your on your radar as well. And we talked a little bit about it last week. Um, I was trying to channel my inner Carl to make sure <laughs> that we <laughs> that we um, gave folks uh, that basic disaster preparedness information yeah. about hurricanes. And you've done a couple of hurricane preparedness shows with me um, yeah. as well. And so if folks are wanting more information about that, um, they can go to mpbonline.org and go to Southern Remedy and look through our archived um, podcasts yeah. and, to and find that. And it's definitely one of those things that you need to do beforehand. You do not wait. You need to wait till something forms in the Gulf or, right. or out in the Caribbean and starts heading this way. It's one of those things you need to plan for now while it's sunny and warm outside and, Nothing's happening in the Gulf, and um, right. you know it's one of those things you start planning now and do a little bit this month, do a little bit next month, and you know many people don't have the money to go spend um, you know four or five six hundred dollars on extra food or batteries or supplies, but if you start this month and add two or three things to your list, and then next month get one or two other things, you know over a period of time, then you'll have built up what you need. And, uh, you know, I certainly recommend that's the way to do it. That's the way I've done it through the years. Um, and then people say, well, my food will go bad or my water will go bad. Well, most of the time, many of the things that you use, including batteries, you use every day or every, you know, every few months anyway. Just rotate that stuff out as you normally would and replace it with new stuff that you would buy anyway. But, you know, I don't want, I don't want to get lost on that. But the main <laughs> The main thing I want people to remember is don't wait. Start now. Yeah, don't, yeah. Don't, don't wait because then everybody and their mama will be down at uh, Walmart or Home Depot trying to buy the same thing. So. Yeah, absolutely. And you would be proud because I have a an actual container that has all my stuff in it. Um, oh, good. Yeah, I know it has wheels on it and everything so I can roll it. I mean, I'm just, I'm big Even time better. now. Yeah, Even Absolutely. Better. And, you know, I really like the tip that you just gave us about buying, you know, little bits of it along the way to not, you know, people are, it's tough economic times and, you know, it can seem daunting to, to think about trying to purchase tons of extra stuff, but just getting those little things along the way really is um, the, the way to, to do it. And you can always go to ready.gov and look at their list of things that you should have in your kit if you're not right. sure exactly what what should go in there besides food and water those are the things right. we tend to think about right ready, there's right. that really good ready.gov is theme site uh, also i'll give a plug to the mississippi office of homeland security they have a great site 
Mima, the Mississippi Office of Emergency Management, uh, uh, the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency has a great site, and also the Mississippi State Department of Health has a great site. Any of those are going to give you great information. Um, you know, they're pretty much, uh, I don't want to say they're identical, but they're pretty much all on the same uh, flavor, so to speak. Uh, but any of those, but ready.gov is, is the big one there from FEMA. And, uh, but, but all of them give you great information, give you good things to think about for your family, uh, having plans, things to build your kit with. Uh, it's just good information. And, uh, and I, I will go ahead and say here, please don't forget to include the kids. Uh, yeah. Even if they're, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, it's not too late or not too early to include the kids in the planning and, uh, you know, uh, go ahead and get them involved. Absolutely. I was, you read my mind because I was going to mention that as well, because what we've done on the ready.gov site is they have lots of printables for kids that are almost, almost like coloring sheets and things for them to draw with yeah. and that kind of thing. And if you've got Cub Scouts or beginning Boy Scouts, you know, that's kind of disrupted um, their advancement, you know, not being able to meet in person and work on badges and that kind of stuff. And so that's some of the things we've done, you know, especially with my Cub Scout is, you know, worked on his kind of emergency preparedness stuff um, for his badge, as well as his first aid stuff. And ready.gov had some great um, templates there for us to, to print out and, and work through those things on. So that was helpful there. All right. So I agree. Let's not get lost in the weeds on the, um, on the, the hurricane preparedness. But uh, if you have a question for us about that, about disaster preparedness, about COVID-19, uh, or general health and wellness, we'd love to take those today. Our number is one mpb ring All right, Carl, tell me about your latest adventure, because you had a federal uh, deployment related to COVID, correct? Right. I've actually had two deployments the, this spring and early summer. Uh, my first deployment was uh, in relationship to the cruise ship's and to the repatriation of the Americans from Wahoom Province, uh, China. Uh, I, I know this seems like a long time ago, but it was back in just a couple of months ago in March. Uh, but we've uh, we've been through so much the past uh, couple of months. It does seem like a long time ago. Uh, but when the two cruise ships, one was docked there in Oakland, California, and the other one was docked in Japan, and uh, the government sent uh, the planes to pick up the American citizens in Japan and sent uh, the planes to China to pick up the American citizens there to bring them home. And the cruise ship that was docked uh, there in Oakland uh, with the American citizens on it and also had some other citizens from across the world. Um, the uh, National Disaster Medical System, we were the ones tasked with um, uh, the um, debarking those uh, people off the cruise ship and taking care of them at the federal quarantine stations that were set up uh, across the country. Um, most people saw that on the news uh, at the different military bases uh, scattered from California all the way to Georgia. Um, and so the National Disaster Medical System uh, personnel were the ones that were uh, helping taking care of those um, um uh, people as uh, they were going through the federal quarantine that was being overseen by the CDC. Uh, my assignment was at Dobbins uh, Air Base just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I was there for uh, um, uh, 15 days, actually. Um, and my assignment there was uh, patient movement. And my job was to um, 
uh, repatriate the, the passengers uh, once it was time for them to go back home to their home states. Uh, so a lot of planning and a lot of logistics went into getting the people back home uh, to their home, um, uh, you know, where they were from, to their home state, actually. Um, and so a lot of coordination had to go into place back with their home state, their home uh, state departments of health, and with the CDC. Um, wow. That, that was it. Uh, there were uh, DMAT teams that were there that were making sure that they were healthy and being taken care of and uh, that all their needs were being met. And uh, so that was my role there at uh, Dobbins Air Base. Uh, it was a very unique role. I'm one of the few people <laughs> that can say they've worked at a federal quarantine station now. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio, and I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at UMMC. Joining me today via Skype is Dr. Carl Mangum, who is also an Associate Professor, but of nursing at UMMC, and a disaster preparedness specialist, and we are talking about um, his recent federal deployment for COVID-19. So we're happy to take your questions about COVID as well as general health and wellness questions. And we're also going to spend some time talking about mental health and the importance of focusing on our mental health during this pandemic. If you have a question or a comment for us, you can give us a call. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 our email is fit at mpbonline.org, or you can hop on over to my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie, and interact with me there. I have gotten several questions through there today, and we will get to those during the show today as well. It's a great way um, to, to get in touch with me. All right, Carl, um, before the break, we were talking about one of your two federal deployments for COVID-19. Um, and I want to talk about the second one as well, because it was a uh, nursing home related, correct? Or long-term care facility correct. related. Tell correct. me about, tell me about that. Correct. Um, and in early April, um, three of our teams were deployed, our, our DMAT teams, and those teams are normally deployed as a 35 person team with doctors, nurses, uh, paramedics, uh, pharmacists. Um, we have, uh, sometimes a, a respiratory therapist. We have, um, 
uh, a different breakdown, uh, breakdown of also uh, logistical people, uh, administrative people, um, but our, our base of our medical people are doctors, uh, RNs, paramedics, and uh, pharmacy uh, people, and those are our, our basic medical breakdowns. But our teams can be breaking down into what we call health and medical task forces, and they're usually a team of seven or 14 or a combination thereof based on the mission. And what it was is uh, the state of Maryland requested three HMTFs, which are the health and medical task forces, and they end up being teams of nine. And in those, we have a command element, which is usually a team or a deputy commander. And in this case, they were team commanders. And we had uh, physicians, RNs, and we also had safety officers that went along and paramedics. And in these teams, our job was to assist the Maryland State Department of Health, the Maryland National Guard, which has their medical components, and it was under the auspices of the state surgeon and the state EMS office. And in Maryland, they have a statewide EMS office that uh, pretty much regulates and oversees uh, most of their EMS activities statewide. So it's a, a slightly different than the way we do it in Mississippi, but it's a you know, it's the way they do it in many states in that part of the country do it that way. There's nothing right or wrong doing it either way. It's just the way they do it. So, uh, so uh, we were requested by them um, um, through uh, the federal government, through HHS, through the Department of Health and Human Services. So uh, they deployed our three teams. It was my team, Delta One, um, uh, Ohio Five, and Florida One. And uh, we were deployed there, and our job uh, was to assist the Maryland National Guard in assessing nursing homes and long-term uh, health care facilities uh, with COVID-19 and, and how they were doing and, and help them um, make better decisions or do things differently or do things better uh, to be able to um, take better care of the residents. Um, just Maryland, like uh, all other states, had a high rate of COVID in infections um, and deaths, just like everyone else did, um, in their nursing home and long-term healthcare facilities. I mean, that's public knowledge. It's out there, and it's one of those things that um, uh, it, it's being researched. It's being looked at at all levels um, throughout the country, and it's one of the things we're you know that's being looked at and trying to be. Um, um, addressed for the future. And uh, that was our role um, with the training that we've had. Um, Long-term health care facilities um, is, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a different area than what we normally look at. But with the training, with the biological, chemical, hazmat type area, and that's really where this pandemic falls into when you're looking at a large-scale population that are all in one confined area. Um, it, it kind of it lends itself back to that type of training and that type of response. And so with that, we were able to go in and assess the nursing homes and the long-term health care facilities. Each time we went in, there would always be a contingent of the Maryland National Guard that would either have a physician, a nurse practitioner, or an officer leading it. And uh, we would work hand-in-hand -hand with them um, and um, in our report and our um, recommendations that we would give uh, to them and that we would report back to the state. And um, sometimes there would be um, a very quick follow-up if they needed things. There would be a lot of communications back and forth uh, of giving them additional information. 
or questions that they had that we could answer or that the state can answer to give them additional information or where they could get additional resources uh, to be able to assist them. That's basically what we did. We were there for a month and uh, actually three other teams came in and replaced us uh, for another three weeks uh, after we left. You know, it's such an important uh, thing that you guys were doing when we look at, uh, you know, who are unfortunately passing away from COVID. It tends to be that older group of people. And especially here when we look at Mississippi, a large chunk of it are people in long term care. That's when, you know, you look on the Department of Health website and you see that LTC. I have people asking me all the time what LTC stands for and it's long term care. And, you know, nursing homes are are lumped in into that. And, you know, it's 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 a hard situation all the way around, you know, with with trying to control the spread, trying to maintain mental health of you know the staff as well as the residents there. You know, and, and that's something that that's kind of bled over into to the general population. You know, when we look at depression and anxiety, um, self-reported depression and anxiety, it has you know, almost tripled since right. the, the beginning of the pandemic. And so while disaster preparedness and emergency response is one area I know you are quite passionate about mental health is is the other one that you are equally as passionate about as a psychiatric mental health nurse right. practitioner. Um, you know, do you do you have a sense of, of why we're seeing more um, yeah, reports? Yeah. Yes, one, one of the things that while I was on the deployment, one of the things that we ran across at, at many places, and I know the same thing was happening here and across the country. So this is not specific to Mississippi or just Maryland. It's, it's, it's specific to the whole country and possibly even the world. Um, but many times as, as we would visit places, and I know, um, uh, again, this applies to the whole country, uh, we would visit places that some of the staff had um, had passed away, actually. Mm. Uh, workers, uh, sometimes, uh, most of the time, it would be like a nursing assistant or a direct care worker of some type had uh, contracted uh, COVID-19 and it actually had passed away. So there was a, a veil of uh, sadness, uh, of, of being frightened. Uh, many places um, I know throughout the country have lost many staff members that have quit, uh, that refused to go to work back to work because they were in fear for their life, uh, from uh, fear of spreading it back to their family. I know many nurses and, and healthcare workers just in general have had that fear. So one of the things that, that addresses this um, is, is fear itself. Um, is one of the big issues, especially initially when we didn't know as much as we know about COVID as we do now. And, and people are a lot more, I'll just use the term relaxed now. Uh, not everybody's relaxed. I'm certainly not. I still wear a mask when I'm <laughs> in public. Um, yes. I've, 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 I've seen too much. I've been to many places. I've had too much training. And I'm still going to wear a mask, even if nobody else does. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm going to be one of those people with a mask on for a while. You know, I'm going to be standing right beside you with mine on. Uh, I'm one of those people. I've been there and I've got the T-shirt and uh, I'm going to be wearing a mask for a while longer. So, uh, but it, it, and it's OK. Please, everybody understand that it's OK. Uh, but it's one of those things that fear itself at first was a big driver in this. And, and with some people, it still is. And, and there's nothing wrong with having a healthy fear of, of something that dangerous. And the, um, 
and there's nothing wrong with that. Actually, it's a, probably a good protective thing that that um, that we all have. Some of us just choose not to listen to it, and that's why people end up in precarious videos sometimes. <laughs> uh, but um, it, it's one of those things that that the fear was the big driver at first with a, with a lot of this. Um, with uh, the other point that I'll bring up through this is. Uh, people are just getting tired. That's why the, some of the depression and anxiety is setting in. They're tired of dealing with this. They're tired of being at home. Uh, many people have lost their jobs. Uh, many people have lost income or a big chunk of their income. They're worried about how they're going to pay their bills. They're worried about their kids or grandkids. They're worried about their family. They're worried about older family members, older adults, parents, grandparents. They're worried about their health. Um, life has changed for us uh, in many ways, and many people don't uh, get it. Who would have thought right before Christmas, if I told you by Easter, you wouldn't be able to shop at any Walmart in the country past 830 at night? Would you have believed me? No. no. You wouldn't have. What if I told you that you wouldn't going to be able to find a roll of total paper on the shelf anywhere after March 15th? No. You wouldn't have believed me. What if I told you you could fly an airplane almost anywhere alone? That there probably wouldn't be more than two or three people on the same flight with you anywhere. You wouldn't have believed me. What if I told you gas was going to be a dollar thirty-nine a gallon? You wouldn't have believed me. So it, yeah. what I'm saying is life has changed drastically for most of us. Not everybody, but I'll say most of us. Okay, yeah. there's some people that are still trucking along like it's last uh, October and it's no big deal. Well, I'm happy for them and I'm glad that this has not affected them that much and they can do just fine. But even people, and I'll just use me as an example, someone with my training and my experience, even with disasters, guys, and I've been working in disaster response for 25 years, okay? I have about as much training as you can get for a person at my level, okay? Um, I've been working in psychiatric mental health nursing for 25 years that I've been a registered nurse, okay? I'm a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. I teach psychiatric mental health nurse practitioners. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've got all the books. I've got all the training. I've been <laughs> you could probably write one, too. But, but yet, there are days that I have to stop and think the world's different. Mm -hmm. I can't think that way anymore i can't do what i used to do i have to approach it this way i have to look at it this way i have to interact with my peers or my patients or my friends or my family this way i can't go to walmart past 8 30 at night because they won't be open right. uh, you, you know simple things like that that yeah. throw people for a loop, and many of my friends and many of my, you know, relatives, they all say, well, I want things to get back to normal. How many times have I said that? Mm -hmm. How many times have we all said that? Well, folks, it may not be the normal of last November or December. It's, it's just like Katrina. You know, we still talk about before Katrina and after Katrina. Mm -hmm. well, how long ago was Katrina? You know, 2005, 2005 yeah, 15. Right. Uh, and, and so are things back to normal in Gulfport and Biloxi and Waveland and all those towns down there? 
know it's their new normal and people don't like using the term new normal because they don't like new uh, but it's a different normal and it's going to be a different normal i'm wondering if they're ever going to put ketchup back on the tables at a restaurant <laughs> probably not probably not uh, and i'm okay with that you know i i i, 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 I wipe like down that. the ketchup bottle anyway right so really, yeah. folks, it comes back down to we've got to accept the new normal. Or do we have to like it? Well, no, you don't have to like it, but you got to learn to live within the rules. OK, and mm -hmm. uh, it really comes back down to coping. Most of us had got used to the way we did things and we want to do it that way. And and, and we can't anymore. We, we have to get to the way that's acceptable. Is it OK to wear my mask to church? Yes, it is. Is it OK to wear my mask out? Yes, it is. Is it okay not to wear my mask? Depends on where you're at. If you're out on a <laughs> fishing boat by yourself, of course it's fine not to have your mask. If you're going to be on a bus riding with other people, you probably need to put a mask on for right now. Okay? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's all things like that that you got to think. And everybody, um, and I don't want to go too far with this, so you stop me, Dr. Bidwell. But, but the other <laughs> thing is, is, is a lot of people say, well, it's my right. I'm tired of wearing a mask and all that. Well, yes, it's your right, okay? And and I'm, I'm stand up right next to you to defend your right because it's my right too. But then again, what if it's the other person, they're going to their 88-year-old grandmother's house trying to take them some sweet potato casserole and their, their you know, grandmother's immunocompromised and you're breathing stuff on them and you know, it's not all about you. It's about other people. And I would just refer people back to the golden rule. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. And think about others sometimes and not just your, yourself. And when yeah. we do that, guys, it, it tends to work out better. The only other comment I'll make is, when's the last time you heard a case of the flu? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know it's, been, a, it's because, been a minute. Because we've been washing our hands. And we've not been walking around rubbing flu germs all over each other and everything. And guys, it works. Yeah. Not as many people have had the flu and other those diseases that we spread around every day, all the time, because we're paying attention to what we're doing and we're thinking about other people and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Monday with us here on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me today, I have Dr. Carl Mangum. 
and we have been talking about his recent federal deployments uh, related to COVID-19, um, as well as mental health associated with um, the pandemic. And we're happy to take any questions you have about that, as well as general health and wellness. Our number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Our emails fit at mpbonline.org. And my Facebook page is Healthy Habits with Josie. You can hop over there and uh, converse with us that way. So, uh, Carl, before the break, um, we had been talking about kind of the uptick in depression and anxiety um, since the beginning of the pandemic. And you you kind of alluded to some anxiety being normal and then anxiety that is more pathologic and leading into to something that is, is more harmful. And, you know, that's not something that is um, unique to our current situation. You know, we, we see that all, all the time, you know, anxiety in and of itself is not a bad thing. You know, I always use the example with the, um, the nursing students, you know, if uh, a zombie busted through the door, I would have the anxiety and the stress response to that to tell me to, to run away from it. Um, and so some anxiety is, is beneficial, but then we have, um, when it kind of progresses over into uh, something that is disrupting our life. So tell me about kind of normal anxiety versus when it's a problem. Right. Well, generally, we think about anxiety and, and a lot of textbooks will kind of divide it like into four areas, a mild, a moderate, a severe. And then we always think of panic anxiety or panic attacks. Uh, with mild exam- anxiety, um, most of us tends to help us. Uh, like right before a test, you feel a little of anxiety, but a lot of times it'll help you focus on what you're doing. Um, I know a lot of times in the fire service, uh, when we're putting on our turnouts and our, our air packs and getting ready to enter a structure fire, we have a little anxiety because we know what we're going into and that adrenaline hits us. And mm-hmm. but it's a little mild anxiety, but it does help you to focus on what's going on. And that's that same anxiety that usually hits a student right before that test. Um, and it helps them focus on what's going on. So we usually call that the good anxiety. Uh, the moderate anxiety, that next one up, um, everything starts to kind of, uh, uh, starts to unravel. They can follow directions still, uh, but they have trouble following uh, what's going on around them a little bit. The severe anxiety, boy, they really have, uh, that's when they start sweating so bad. Uh, they they uh, can't uh, function. They can't think straight. They can't concentrate. Uh, they can't do their activities of daily living. It would be impossible to probably hold down a job with this. Uh, it would be next to impossible to go to school. It would be almost impossible to function within a family with severe anxiety. You, you lose trust. You lose the ability to make decisions good and, and things like that. Then, of course, panic itself, uh, it's just uh, would be totally, uh, you can't function at all in that because you have that fe- feeling of impending doom. Like uh, your heart's going to explode. Right. Your head's going to explode or or that zombie is about to eat you alive. Uh, right. So, uh, so the difference is, is where you find the line is, is can the per- person still function daily with it? Um, and, and again, a little mild anxiety. A lot of people do not recognize that mild anxiety as the good anxiety. Uh, maybe they're having too much of it. Maybe they're being placed in situations where they're having too much of that anxiety. And a lot of times people, especially the overachieving type people, 
uh, continue to go back for more and more and more trying to get to the next level. And they keep putting themselves in those anxiety producing situations without taking a time out to let the body and the mind recover before they go back into that situation. And uh, then that can change that anxiety from that mild everyday stuff on up to moderate, even severe. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of want to kind of piggyback on that in that sometimes you don't know that it's anxiety. You know, uh, you know, it, I, when I'm working with um, patients in lifestyle medicine, every single patient I see get, get a screen for depression and anxiety because I can't help you with your nutrition and your physical activity if we've got undiagnosed or untreated depression and anxiety. It's not it's not going to be a successful. And a lot yeah. of times when I start talking about it and I mention the word anxiety, they say, well, I don't have anxiety. And so then I kind of switch to things like what about irritability or feeling like you, you know, you're going to lose your temper, that kind of stuff. And they'll be like, Oh yeah, well I got that. And sometimes that's how it will, will manifest itself. Um, is that kind of quick temper or being irritable, um, for that. And, you know, I'll, um, kind of liken it to, um, like for me, my anxiety kind of manifests in wanting to be able to control as much as I can. And so that's often, or my husband would say, it makes me irritable because I'm trying to <laughs> trying to con- control things, you know, as much as I can to to deal with my anxiety. And so, you know, don't just think about anxiety in terms of feeling afraid because that is not necessarily um, what anxiety manifests in for everybody, especially for kids. You know, right. kids very rarely will tell you I'm anxious. You know, they tell you more, my stomach hurts or my head hurts, you know, things like that. Yeah, um, children certainly manifest itself more in physical symptoms than the typical things we would see in adults. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, if the, I saw a good example of um, using hand washing as, as a marker of kind of moving from, you know, kind of that good, mild anxiety to... Uh, kind of more harmful anxiety, you know, so maybe you watch the video about how to wash your hands and now that's, that's how you wash your hands and you pay attention, right? You make sure that you're washing on the tops and the bottoms and in between the fingers and around your wrists and under your fingernails and all that kind of good stuff. And once you've washed them, you feel good about it and, and you're good to go um, versus kind of repeated hand washing that is much more vigorous than it needs to be and kind of repetitive. You know, as soon as you touch something else, you immediately go and and wash your hands. And and the hand washing really becomes the focus of your your energy and your attention instead of just your energy focusing on, I learned how to do it and I'm doing it right. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense to me. Oh, well, good. Well, at least I made sense to one person. So, Batting, batting a thousand today. So um, what if we think we might have moderate or major anxiety? What are some things that we can do for that? Well, um, of course, if you're having uh, trouble with your activities of daily living, and by that we mean uh, being able to take care of yourself, interacting with your family or friends, uh, being able to go to school or be able to uh, hold down a job, any of those functions like that or your activities of daily living, 
If you're having uh, trouble doing that, you need to see a, a mental health professional, um, uh, you know, a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner or a psychiatrist, uh, because you're definitely, it's definitely causing problems in your life. And uh, you, um, you may or may not need medication. Um, it's one of those things is you need to uh, have an assessment done and, um, and, and talk with that provider and, and make a plan and let them make a plan with you and work through that. Um, and many times I find that many people are in uh, what we call maturational things in their life, things as they're growing up or things are changing in their life and they're at a, a crossroads, so to speak. And they're just having um, issues uh, with change. And we see that a lot right now with life and COVID and the things that are happening. Uh, people just need someone to talk to. And sometimes um, a, a few uh, sessions of someone just to talk to and to work things through or to think things through or to make decisions or, or someone to talk to. is Sometimes that's all people need and they uh, actually get better pretty quick. Uh, yeah. I've, I've been able to find that. So if you're having these issues, I certainly encourage you to go ahead and, and, and see a provider, a mental health provider, and try to uh, work through some of these things. And if you need medication, you need medication. Uh, but uh, we want to make sure that people understand that this is not a character flaw. This is not something that um, you can just suck it up and feel better. Um, uh, and, and there's no shame in talking to a health, a mental health professional in this. Guys, we all need help from time to time. Uh, there's times that I go talk to people and say, hey, I've got this going on in my life and I need to talk to somebody about it. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Um, and, um, you know, I'm a pretty big guy, that, uh, <laughs> big old teddy bear. And if you're, a if you're, a, 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 a one of those big burly guys out there, well, I ain't going to talk to nobody. I ain't got to do it. Well, yeah, all of us need to talk to somebody and all of us have bad days, but if you got some of these stringing together and you need to talk to somebody, Hey, it's okay. Let's get you better and get you back in the game, so to speak. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell. Joining me today is Dr. Carl Mangum. And we've been talking about COVID response as well as depression and anxiety. And we've got just a couple minutes left in the show, and I want to get to some of the questions that have come through via my Facebook page with this Healthy Habits with Josie. 
And so the first question we have this morning is, where is the best place for the uninsured to go for medical care in the Memphis area? And so it's a, a great question. Um, and one that I'm not going to limit to just the Memphis area, because my recommendation is something that can be used um, across areas. And I'm not sure if Memphis area, we're talking about um, North Mississippi or if we're talking about actually in Tennessee. Um, so I did a little a little a little Googling to see what all I could find in those general um, areas. And what we want to look for um, is something called community health centers or federally qualified health centers, um, because all of those um or both of those types of clinical settings usually see and treat people who are either uninsured or underinsured um, and do a fee schedule based off a sliding scale based off of income and those kinds of things. And so um, I went and typed in, you know, Tennessee federally qualified health clinics and it pulled up the Tennessee Primary Care Association. Um, and so that is really kind of the main landing page for um, for their community health centers, and it says find a health center near you. So you can put in your actual location, and it will show you the um, centers that are closest to you. Um, Mississippi has the same thing, Mississippi Primary Care Association. So you can look in those areas for where the nearest healthcare um, community health center, federally qualified health center is in your area. But it's a great question because now more than ever, we want to make sure that we are healthy, or as healthy as we can be, um, because we know all of these chronic illnesses and comorbidities do increase um, the, the, the poor outcomes with COVID-19. So great question there. All right, we've got just a couple minutes, so I'm going to talk about um, one of the other questions we got. And if I didn't get to your question, I'll add it to the pile and we'll get to it next week. Um, asked about ticks, um, because ticks are pretty bad this year. I just got back from a visit um, with my parents and spent about four days just being a country girl again. And we really had to be on top of the tick situation. Um, and so, you know, what the question actually asked, what's the best way to deal with a tick bite? And so, of course, the best way to deal with it is to try and keep from getting it in the first place. Um, so we always want to do prevention. Um, so think about um, making sure that the, you know, most of your skin areas are, are covered. You know, I went blackberry picking and I made sure I had long pants on that I tucked into some socks and then put on some kind of knee boots. Um, and I had a hat for my, my head so that when I went under trees and brushed through limbs and things like that, they didn't kind of fall into my hair. Um, and I had a, a you know, a, a lightweight long sleeve shirt uh, button on there. And then taking those shucking those clothes off and doing a little tick check to, you know, to make sure that you don't have any on your crawling around. Those kinds of things are, are really good ways to go. Now, what if you actually do have one and one has, has bitten in? Um, you might want to be careful how you remove it. Usually tweezers is the best way to go and don't twist because you don't want to break that um, kind of sucker piece off in there and wash with soap and water or rub with alcohol um, and then give your primary care provider a call to see if they recommend any antibiotics or anything after that. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for listening to the Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit Podcast. If you have a question, you can email fit at mpbonline.org or leave a comment on my Facebook page, Healthy Habits with Josie. For ongoing information on staying healthy and fit, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. 
Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app.